A few years back, uh, Los Angeles County Bomb Squad was called to check out a rather suspicious-looking pickup truck parked in downtown L.A. Uh, they checked it out, and they discovered 400 pounds of explosives in five 55-gallon uh, drums. And had that bomb actually been detonated, it would have blown a crater 75 feet wide and 20-some feet deep. Now, the man who had uh, been arrested had a history of setting off explosives in the Los Angeles area, although most of them were more of the firecracker uh, kind of devices, uh, so they'd been small and nobody had been hurt. But this one, had it gone off, would have caused severe damage. Now, the question was, why was he doing this? Why was he having so many explosives? Well, it turns out that this guy had a vendetta against the IRS. Uh, they owed him money, or at least he thought so, and he was not going to leave them alone until they forked over the cash that they owed him, every last single penny of it. Now, how much money do you think the IRS owed him? It was $14. Now, it's kind of hard to believe that somebody would have the desire for revenge to be so strong that someone would actually destroy lives and property, including their own, in the quest for it. But yet it happens again and again and again. I mean, when you become consumed with revenge, the particulars of the offense don't really mean much. I mean, you could be outraged over $14, you could be outraged over $14 million. It could be somebody cut you off on traffic and waved their hand at you when they did. Or that someone might have actually done bodily harm to you or bodily harm to somebody you really like. It could be that a co-worker made some sort of a snide remark about you or some classmate said something rude about you. Or it could be somebody you work with that always seems to be sabotaging your career in one way or the other. Now, regardless of the offense, once you become consumed with this idea of getting back at them, or getting revenge, the focus of your life shifts from uh, being good and doing good to getting even. And the desire for revenge can absolutely destroy you if you let it. Now, if you've ever been taken advantage of, and who hasn't? If you've ever har secretly harbored thoughts of getting even with someone, and I seriously doubt that there's no one in here who has not had that feeling either, I would pray, open pray, that today's message would change the way you feel about that subject. Uh, we're going to take a look at transitioning from wanting to get even with people to be willing to forgive people. And we're going to examine a couple of things like why it's best not to seek revenge and what to do instead of seeking revenge and then actually how to get your mind off of revenge. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, uh, we know that, uh, boy, if anyone was ever taken advantage of or treated unfairly, it was you. And yet you did not respond in a way to get revenge, although you could have easily done so. But instead of walking the way of a humble servant, you've given us a wonderful example to follow. And we pray that through your word today, we will come to understand and see why it's necessary for us to learn forgiveness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, why it's best not to seek revenge? 
Now, Peter says that when you experience mistreatment of any kind, there are actually several different ways that you can learn from that experience if you choose not to get revenge. And so I'm going to share with you three reasons, biblical reasons, why it's best not to do so. You see the first one on the screen. It's refusing revenge is pleasing to God. Now, going back to our text in verse 19, for it is commendable if a man bears up. Now, it's kind of interesting that bears up has this connotation almost of being pregnant, to carry out front of. It's best if you kind of bear up or carry it in a way, uh, bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable to God. Now, the word that's translated commendable here in the text is the Greek word charis. And charis means grace. And Peter's not just saying that putting up with or enduring mistreatment is a good idea because it kind of shows and means that you're kind of a nice nice person. He's saying if you refuse to get revenge, you are going to experience God's grace in a special way. Now, making uh, maybe getting even would make you happy. But if you refuse to get even, guess what? It makes God happy instead. And the Bible, of course, makes it abundantly clear uh, that God despises any kind of mistreatment toward anyone else. However, if you refuse to get even with those people, God is pleased with that attitude. Now, the second reason why it's best not to seek revenge is it helps you identify with Jesus. Now, we call ourselves not Biblians. We call ourselves, what, Christians. We are followers of Christ. We are to be reflectors of Christ. We are to be more like Christ. We are to grow to be more like Christ. So we really want to identify with him. So no amount of mistreatment that you and I will ever experience in this life will ever compare to the supreme injustice experienced by Jesus. I mean, think about just on the human level, first of all. Jesus was deceived. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was beaten. He was mocked. He was railroaded in some sort of a bogus trial where he was sentenced to death on trumped-up charges. He had done nothing illegal, and yet he was sentenced to die, the most vicious form of death known to man at that time, crucifixion. That's on the human level. But on the spiritual level, as Jesus hung there on that cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It felt as if God had to turn away because at that time, every sin ever committed by any person was placed on Jesus. I mean, he suffered the punishment of the, of the sins of the world, and he did it willingly. Now, I don't know that there are very many of you here today that can heal people. Uh, I don't know that anybody's here today that could feed 5,000 people with a, a little bit of uh, bread and a couple of fish. Uh, I, the last time I ever tried to walk on water, it didn't work. Uh, but there is one way in which every last single person here today can be more like Jesus. It's simply this. When you're mistreated by anyone for any reason, you can refuse to get even. And by doing so, you're following his steps. That's why he says in verse 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. Why? Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, here's a third reason. It, it helps you become good. 
Now, Peter also writes in chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Now, have you ever suffered for doing anything right? Yeah, I have. I'm sure you have, too. And sometimes you just kind of suck it up, build a bridge, get over it, move on. Uh, he also says in 4, verse 1, later in his book, since Christ suffered his body, arm yourself with the same attitude, because he, has su- he, he who has suffered is done with sin. See, it kind of works like this. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you know, enduring temptation is kind of like holding a 10-pound weight over your head. Uh, if you're not used to it, that weight can get pretty heavy pretty quick. Uh, now, enduring mistreatment is much more difficult than enduring uh, temptation. It's, instead, it would be rather than holding a 10-pound weight over your head, imagine holding a 25-pound weight over your head. But the longer you can hold that 25-pound weight over your head and when you finally set it down, guess what happens when you pick up the 10-pound weight? It seems a whole lot lighter in comparison. Now, nobody in their right mind, believe me, uh, would choose to be taken advantage of. In fact, we ought to do everything we can to avoid being taken advantage of. But there's an, ad- there's an advantage to being taken advantage of. When it happens, you can benefit in three ways. You have the opportunity to please God. You have an opportunity to identify with Jesus. And you have an opportunity to become good. Now, that's some reasons why not to seek revenge. Let's consider from the text what to do instead of seeking revenge. Now, I want to make something clear at this point. There's a difference between uh, getting revenge and taking the necessary steps to avoid mistreatment. Uh, Refusing to get revenge doesn't mean that you refuse to hold other people accountable for their actions. It simply means that you choose not to retaliate. And in Acts chapter 16, maybe you remember this story, Paul is seized by uh, Philippian authorities. He is beaten, and then he is thrown into jail. The next day, they offered to set him free, and they basically said, go in peace, my brother, <laughs> and told him to hit the bricks and leave town. Well, Paul turned around and basically said, not so fast, buddy. I mean, you beat us publicly without a trial, and guess what? We are Roman citizens. You cannot sweep this nonsense under the rug. See, he, you know, he's not going to retaliate, but he was still going to hold them accountable. Now, you don't have to be a, a floor mat or a doormat for other people to trample on. You just need to set boundaries, and once you've been mistreated, uh, you do what you have to do to prevent it from happening again. Uh, you know, I've had people who said that they were terribly mistreated at work. Guess what? The end result after we talked, they got a new job. That's how they handled it. Now, maybe you can't always do that. Uh, For some of you who are the boss, maybe you hire new employees. (laughs) Maybe that's one way to do it. Or end a friendship. Move to a new place. I actually one time counseled a couple that when they were married, the best thing they could do was move as far away from both sets of parents as possible. (laughs) And they did. Whatever it is. I mean, putting an end to unfair treatment is not seeking revenge. Getting revenge is when you try to hurt people as much, if not more, than you perceive that they hurt you. Now, if you're in a situation where you're being mistreated right now, you have the right to do whatever you can to put an end to it, if possible. You have a right to hold that other person accountable, 
but you do not have the right to retaliate or to strike back. Instead of revenge, this is what you need to do. Um, you need to not retaliate. Verse 23, when he suffered, he made no threats. He did not retaliate. Now, there's no such thing as getting even. You can't balance the scale of your actions and, 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 it, will, and uh, it will only serve to extend the conflict. And Jesus taught that when other people strike you, do what? Instead of striking back, turn the other cheek. He also said to not talk trash. That's kind of interesting. A lot of trash talking on television, movies today. Verse 23, when he suffered, he made no threats. I don't know if you, if you bothered to notice that a lot of athletes, certain athletes in certain professional sports, uh, particularly the NBA and particularly the NFL, uh, tend to have a constant stream of insults and threats that are directed toward the players of the other team. Now, you don't necessarily see that if you're watching it on television. You don't necessarily hear it. You can tell that they're talking to one another. But I was at a basketball game a number of years ago when I actually heard one player say to another, I'm going to rip your head from your shoulder and feed it to your kidneys. That was like, did I just hear what I just thought I heard? Well, now, I know for a fact that this is probably an idle threat. I mean, after all, Every member of the other team went to the locker room at the end of the game, and they all still had their heads on their necks. This player would just say what he thought he could say in order to do what? Stir things up. Now, many times when we're taken advantage of, and even as Christians, you know, sometimes people get off because we're Christians. I mean, I've had people look at me and go, you know, they ask me what I did, and I say, well, I'm a pastor. They kind of go, oh, you're one of those. And I could respond by saying, yeah, and you're one of those. <laughs> Whatever that might be. Now, many times when, when this happens, even if we never do anything to get even, you know, we'll do sometimes. We'll talk about it. Maybe we'll tell the other person off. Who do you think you are? A kind of a funny thing happened to me this last week. I went to the bank, and, and uh, when I pulled in, uh, I got out of the car. I happened to notice that there was no car parking next to me. But when I walked out of the bank, this Rather, uh, when I got in my car and I was about ready to start, I reached out for my sunglasses and this rather, rather sizable female knocking on my window. And I rolled on my window and she says, there's people like you that make it hard for people like me to get into my car, blah, 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 blah. And I, I said, excuse me, I said, if you step back a minute, just let me get out of my car. I got out of my car, I walked to the front and I said, look, my car is parked perfectly between these two white lines and there was no other car parked next to me when I came in. I said, I wonder whose car this is. She turned around, her husband was walking by. She said to her husband, you're, you're the kind of person that makes it hard for a person like... And, I mean, she was just this kind of negative, crabby person that was going to dump on anybody and everybody. And I just waved at her husband. I said, have a nice day. <laughs> But, you know, sometimes you want to tell people off. And if you don't have the guts to tell them off in, per in person, what do you do? You'll badmouth them to everybody you know. Or maybe you'll have imaginary conversations, you know, in your head as you're driving down the road, rehearsing all the kind of things you would say if you ever got the chance. Now, the problem with trash talking 
is that it never, ever solves the problem. It just keeps things stirred up. It's like throwing gasoline on an already existing fire. And it prevents forgiveness from taking place. So instead of striking back or making threats, Paul encourages us instead to put ourselves in God's hands. Now, that's part of the reason I wore this tie that I wore today. I don't know if you really paid much attention to it. In fact, it's like pretty bold, but it has what WWJD on it. A couple question marks. Well, this was kind of popular a few years ago. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to this situation? Uh, you know, when he was mocked, when the, when the you know, when the soldiers would have slapped him and said, yeah, uh, are you some sort of a king? If Jesus would have trash-talked to them and said, man, I could make you guys cry in hell. Uh, it wouldn't have accomplished anything. What, what did Jesus do? Well, verse 23 says, instead, instead of back-talking, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, the Bible says again and again that God is a God of justice. Uh, Back in the book of Isaiah, it says he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. See, God's already stated in his word that someday he's going to balance out the scales. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I mean, if you've ever been taken advantage of, and who hasn't, put yourself in God's hands and let God take care of it. He'll do it a whole lot more fairly than you and I will ever do it. And then Paul says in Romans 12, 19, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But Paul goes on and suggests really a fourth thing uh, to do instead of seeking revenge. And he says, Do something kind for someone who's hurt you. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is really hard to do, but this is what Scripture asks us to do. Uh, Romans 12:20. If your enemy, notice it says, enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Now, I got to tell you, the first time I heard this passage, I thought I'd love to put those burning coals on that guy's head. <laughs> now, really, what this means is, you know, when you respond to somebody who's doing something bad to you with something nice. I don't know if you've ever done that. Do you ever see the look on their face? It's like, why are you doing this? It's almost, it causes a certain amount of embarrassment to them. Don't you know that I just said this to you or I did this to you and you're going to be nice to me? And the answer is, yes, I, I, I'm going to be nice to you. Well, why would you want to do that? Well, because my Lord asked me to do that. I mean, that's, that's really what's meant by it. Now, you don't want to use this and say, oh, next time somebody you know, does something bad to me, I'm going to just go... Oh, bless you in the name of Jesus. You know, to embarrass him. That's not not what this means at all. But just as respond in good. If you get revenge, you may succeed in knocking that person off his feet. However, if you forgive them, if you return uh, kindness instead, rather than knocking them off his feet, guess what? You might actually just drive them to their knees instead. Now, when Jesus was dying on the cross, what was his response? Father, you remember how that goes? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. Instead of seeking revenge, he offered kindness to his enemies. And you get into the book of Acts, you've got Stephen. Well, they took Stephen out to stone him. You remember, Stephen, Stephen said basically the same thing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
So when somebody mistreats you, and I guarantee that probably somebody will, if they already haven't, see if you can find a quiet, subtle way of showing honest-to-goodness Christian kindness. And this is what Jesus did. He, he didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats. Uh, he didn't trash talk to people. Um, the offending person may have, uh, he just entrusted himself to his father and he treated his enemies uh, with the same kindness that he treated everyone else. Now the question is, how am I going to get my mind off of seeking revenge? After all, you probably say, well, I'm a sinner. This is bound to happen. Well, that's true. But if you've ever been taken advantage of, you know how it can consume your thoughts night and day. I mean, there are some of you, if somebody does something bad to you, man, you fester on that for days and weeks. That's all you want to talk about. That's all you think about. How do you get rid of that? Well, the, the crazy thing is that somebody who did something bad to you, guess what? They, they've forgotten it. They're not, they're not thinking about it. And not only have they done something bad to you, they've, con- they've somehow got you controlled to worry about it all the time. The offending person forgot a long time, but you keep struggling with this anger and this bitterness. Now understand, your, your resentment doesn't hurt them. They don't care. But it'll really hurt you. In fact, if they really have it in for you, nothing would make them happier than to realize that this whole experience is eating you alive while they're happily going on with their rotten little lives. Now, if you've ever been taken advantage of again and have decided that it's best not to get revenge because you want to please God with your life, and you've decided that instead of seeking revenge, you're going to seek and trust God instead, treat enemies with kindness, then you've taken two important steps already toward eliminating the problem once and for all. But how do you get rid of this nagging, painful, angry feeling inside this overwhelming desire to get revenge. I'm going to give you a secret. It's three words. You see it up on the screen. I am forgiven. That's the secret. Now you may say, what you talking about? I don't need to be forgiven. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm the one who was taken advantage of. You know, we like to do our little righteous indignation Lutheran talk. That's true. But only when we come to grips with our own forgiveness are we able to forgive others. We kind of started talking about that a little bit this morning in Bible class. Remember, to whom you know, a person who's forgiven much forgives much. See, after Peter says it's best not to seek revenge and what to do instead, he actually reminds them these are the ones who are struggling with mistreatment that they have been forgiven by God. He says in verses 24 and 25, He himself bore our sins so that we might die to our sins. By his wounds we are healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I am forgiven. That's a good thing just to plant in the back of your mind. Next time somebody hurts you, mistreats you, didn't like that. I can hold him accountable. I, I, I would hold him accountable. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get revenge. I am forgiven, and I have been forgiven much. And because I have been forgiven much, I need to do what? Learn to forgive much as well. Have you heard this little statement? Hurt people, hurt people. 
or hurting people, hurt people. You ever hear that? You know, people who focus all their energy on injustice they have been dealt tend to become consumed with it. Uh, their pain often expresses itself in hostility toward other people in the world. I think I've learned that in, in my life, that people who have tried to hurt me, they're hurting themselves already. Something happened in their life that made them that way. And for me to pile on that only adds to that. I mean, their, their pain expresses itself in the way they talk to you, the way that they act to you. They become bitter employees. They become non-trusting friends. They become distant spouses. Uh, you know, whatever you want to say. But instead of focusing on, on, on unjust suffering, remind yourself that you too are in need of God's forgiveness in your life. And that he has freely given it to you. He has graciously forgiven you. You cannot control what someone else may have done to you in the past. But you can rejoice in the fact that your own sins have been forgiven. And that you have been given a fresh start in life. And you have this wonderful privilege of being a reflection of Jesus. When you forgive other people. See the more you dwell on your own forgiveness. It's easier to express forgiveness to other people. Whether they ask for it or not. One thing I've learned, I think, more and more since I've been a pastor is simply this, that the people, that, that some of the most unforgiving people I have ever met do not even begin to understand the forgiveness that God offered them. And the sad thing is you find a lot of people like that who sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday, some of the most unforgiving people. And yet we'll hear the pastor say, your sins have been forgiven. But it doesn't register. Because, after all, their sins are itty-bitty little ones and everybody else's are gigantic ones. You can't control what anybody else has done. But you can rejoice in who God made you. You all know the name Chuck Colson? Uh, Chuck Colson, not really a hero of mine. I can kind of remember him, you know, in his fall with Watergate connected with uh, President Nixon. But you probably all know that he was sentenced to prison, and there in prison, Jesus visited his cell. He came to know Jesus. And then he formed prison fellowship ministry. Um, I have met him on one occasion, and uh, during that time, he spoke at a banquet we were attending. And he told of a story about visiting Jester II. Now, maybe you've heard of Jester II. It's otherwise known as the God Pod. It's a wing of a Texas prison in Sugarland, Texas. And the prison system allowed Chuck Colson to take over certain areas of prisons across the country. And it's run by his organization, Prison Fellowship. It is an 18-month program that offers a pretty austere, nearly monastic atmosphere for inmates, for hardcore repeat offenders who are truly interested in transforming their lives. Now, at the end of 18 months, they have a graduation ceremony at Jester Tour in the God Pod for people who've finished that course. And at one of these, as he told us, one inmate walked forward to the, to the lectern as his name was called. And when he did that, at the same time, a rather tall, stately woman walked up to the front, 
wrapped her arms around this inmate and turned and said to everybody, this young man is my adopted son. Well, Colson said that hardened criminals and tough correction officers burst into tears because they knew who this woman was. Her name was Mrs. Washington, and the inmate she embraced was behind bars for murdering her daughter. And for years, Mrs. Washington had absolutely refused to forgive this man, had written many, many letters, angry letters, to the Texas Parole Board urging them to deny parole. But after 15 years of resentment, she felt an overwhelming conviction to forgive the man of this horrible crime. Now, I know that there are probably a lot of people in here in store like that and say, this man doesn't deserve forgiveness that she had every right not to forgive this man. But she said she offered her forgiveness for the unjust suffering because God had forgiven her and had forgiven her much. So all I'm really saying again, friends, is this, if you've been taken advantage of, if you've been misused, abused, mistreated, whatever, if you have, please remember that Jesus can understand your pain. He knows it. Because he experienced that same pain and mistreatment as well. And if you refuse to allow yourself to be confused, uh, to, to be consumed with revenge, you become more like him. And if you allow him, allow yourself to be consumed with the idea of forgiveness instead, you'll experience the grace of God in your life in a most powerful way. Very simply, by his wounds, you've already been healed. And he would say, now you go and offer that healing to other people. May God grant this for the sake of his son Jesus, who forgives our sins. Amen.